Welcome to season four of Business Book Talk. I'm your host, Bob Garlick. This year, we have even more great books to help you excel in business and life. You can search for book topics and themes at businessbooktalk.com or subscribe using your smartphone for great content on the go. Hey everybody, Bob here again, and I've got Sales Actualization, Outselling the Internet with Dennis O'Neill. Dennis, thanks for coming on the show today, and boy, Outselling the Internet, that is one heck of a thing to put on your book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Bob, for having me. Yeah, it is an ambitious uh, concept, right? Um, I think uh, many businesses have been challenged these days by the Internet, and it's ever ever-growing encroachment on, on how we do business and how people buy things. Yeah, well, I think a lot of times, you know, with the internet is different businesses have a different perception of it, and I think the biggest fallacy of the internet is like, oh yeah, let's get into the internet, let's get into the internet marketing or internet sales techniques, blah, 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 and thinking that's going to solve all their problems. I mean, if they have a bad sales team to begin with, it's not going to make your sales team any better. <laughs> that's exactly right, and, and we've seen... It's been interesting to see some uh, kind of the one reaction or the other. Either companies will avoid it from the sense that you know they don't want to be there because they think that it is you know somebody's going to say something bad about them. As mm-hmm. to the exact opposite, just like you mentioned, people are going to jump right in and think it's going to be this magic rock that automatically fixes everything, and without really understanding how the internet impacts the consumer buying process and you know, greeting salespeople that have no clue about what the consumer just experienced on the web. Um, Mm. You know, it's a big disconnect a lot of times for a lot of sales teams there, for sure. For sure. Well, I think also that, you know, the, the, the concept of a consumer is completely different these days compared to five years ago or 10 years ago, 10 years ago or 50, 50 I mean, people would come into a store regardless if they're going to buy a, a specific item which was brand driven or a, a big ticket item like a car or, or a big component and not really know anything about the product and the salesperson's job was to get to know them a little bit, but really explain the technology as well. This is a great stereo. It does all these things, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, and not have to field a bunch of tough questions. Yeah, you know, you're exactly right. I mean, one of the early, you know, when I started thinking about some of the concepts behind the book and really um, trying to determine, you know, at what, you know, what are the levels of kind of operation that a salesperson can um, behave, right? So mm-hmm. how can they behave in a way that adds value to the customer from a transaction perspective? Mm-hmm. Um, and I started thinking back to uh, my early sales positions. Um, you know, I started, I've sold everything from direct sales where I was selling, you know, cutlery and I was selling uh, you know, asphalt driveway seal coating door to door to I spent many years in the new car business and also in real estate and new homes. And I, I would see this, I, I've got to see many, many, many different salespeople. And I got to see great salespeople and I got to see not great salespeople. <laughs> and uh, I, I would look at kind of how each, I was, um, I feel like I'm as much of a student of the sale as anyone and then I really enjoy watching people sell and trying to pick up the little pieces of you know reaction from the consumer from the customer as well as from the salesperson um, 
but in those some of those early days, uh, I was in the car industry in the mid and late 90s. And this was a time, uh, the car industry I pick as one of the first major industries, in my opinion, big ticket wise, to be severely impacted by the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had for years, I mean, even today, I don't think there's many people that actually enjoy the process of car shopping and car buying. Um, but if you rewind 20 years and think about, you know, how would you, if you saw a commercial or you saw an ad in a magazine or a newspaper and it had an, an image of a car that you liked, a model, a particular make and model, and you wanted to know, well, what other colors is that car in? Because I don't like the black that I see in the picture. Well, the way that you had to find that information was to visit a car dealership. That was where you learned about the product to whether or not it, what kind of engine does it have? How many seats does it have? Does it offer this? Does it offer that? And the salespeople, and this is the time period where I was in this industry, and the salespeople that I worked with enjoyed kind of being the gatekeepers to that information. Excuse me. They knew that that's where a lot of their power came from to be able to influence the sale was the fact that they stood between the consumer and that information. There was no way somebody could find out the answer unless they asked them. You know, we used to see people trying to like sneak into the showroom and grab a brochure and exit quickly before they could leave (laughs) because they didn't want to talk to the salesperson. They weren't ready yet. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was this level of, oh, I'm a provider of information, and that's why you need me. Because you need me, because no, you can't get this information anywhere else. Well, absolutely. And these days, it's the information that's available is way, way beyond that small brochure. It's almost like you could go into the back office, you could pick up the phone, or, or visit the manufacturer, and be on the manufacturing floor, mm-hmm. and, and say, oh, you know, wow, that's the level of granularity. Uh, uh, when people are uh, coming into a dealership these days, or basically any product, and really know their stuff. Now, I've kind of been weird that way as a consumer. I always research like crazy, and, and you know, I've wondered why audio equipment, I would become a semi-engineer. But the average consumer, <laughs> um, they were... You know, they would go to their neighbors and and get mm-hmm. their advice on, oh, what's it like? What's this Chrysler like? Or what's this microwave like? And yeah, I like mm-hmm. it. And then they would make that decision. These mm-hmm. days, that still exists, but because of the internet and all this information that's available, um, they can also get a secondary opinion and research it. So my question is, as a sales professional, the salespeople listening to the show. What's the difference? What direction should they be going now to counter that? It's a great question. Um, so you you kind of touched on some of those answers in your example there, where you mm-hmm. were, you know, one you talked about, of course, obviously how you research things. So if we think about you know information using the the car showroom as an example, um, you know, if we really search for the the purpose you know where the purpose of a salesperson you know is kind of where the the concept for the book started originating from as i saw the internet consistently impact the purchasing process it really came down to is like where you know as a sales professional how do you continue to add value to the purchase experience right if you're no longer needed for that information source you know just your example is perfect i can get more information from the internet in a split second than a salesperson could ever have the ability to memorize and share with me Mm -hmm. i mean the the fact of the matter is the internet does information better than a salesperson um 
So, well, you know, and then to answer your question, well, then how does a salesperson then continue to add value to the sales process, right? If we think about knowing the fact that the the internet does information better, what's the next level, right? And this is kind of the concept of the sales actualization pyramid is that, you know, it really tries to define as best as we can define abstract concepts, you know, a way to determine at what level a salesperson is operating and what kind of value they're providing. And one of those first levels that we talk about or that I discuss a little bit or explore the concept of is really the level of wisdom. Um, And I don't necessarily mean wisdom from like a Confucius sense sort of wisdom, but I mean wisdom in the sense that we have the ability as a sales professional to get to know our buyer, you know, and, and not always just in the standpoint of asking them questions, but even just the things that we can observe that we know about them based upon, you know, who do they come to, you know, how did they visit the retail center? Who else is with them? Did they drive up in something in particular? Um, you know, are they holding uh, something that gives us a clue about, you know, what maybe else they're interested in? But we have the ability to get to know them in a way that we can present the information or the information about the product in a way that solves specific problems. A sales professional knows that a potential customer is always moving away from something or moving towards something, right? So they're either moving away from a particular pain point, you know, discomfort point, or they're moving towards something that they like or they want more so. And as a salesperson, to be able to get to know that customer and to be able to understand the specific problem that they're solving, um, it gives us the ability to um, really present the problem in a way that is noiseless, right? So, I use the example in the book that, you know, holding a hammer does not make me a carpenter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's this assumption, of course, when we go to the internet and information that if we flood ourselves with information, if we give ourselves a pile of hammers, it still doesn't mean that we know how to put a house together. So what we need to do as a sales professional is to basically distill this information, right? Um, and we've even started to see some of the internet encroach upon this level of wisdom when we think about you know, the value of perspective. When we think about kind of the evolution of the internet and how people share, right? So we, you know, we went from, you know, even if we go a few years back and we use more than a few years, but if we start using the phrase that nobody uses anymore of web 2.0, right? Where we went from an internet that had a generally one-way sort of conversation going on mm. to an internet that now has a much more of a two-way conversation where we've enabled anybody to be a publisher and we've enabled consumers to be able to share Whatever, whatever it is they like, their perspective, their value, their unique opinions. Um, so we're starting to see these kind of distilled opinions and perspective um, already shared on the internet. Uh, but as a salesperson, we have the ability to get to know that buyer specifically. Uh, you know, some of the examples I use in the book were, you know, the internet may never know that that minivan that they suggested to that consumer would never work because the rear seats don't move. And this particular customer goes camping every other weekend and absolutely has to have a minivan where the rear seats remove. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the kind of things that the internet doesn't know. Um, but a salesperson has the ability to learn um, and present that value. Well, it you know the the more you talk about it, it's almost like the salesperson um, they shouldn't be called salespeople anymore. They could almost be called concierge type of position where it's like, hey, how you doing? What's your life about? It's like, oh, based on my life, where all I do is think about this particular product, and you've just been thinking about it for the last two months because you've decided to make a purchase one time every mm-hmm. six months or six years. Um, 
<clears throat> that then your job is to kind of become befriend them and say, well, you know, have you thought about this and have you thought about that? Is that more of the way they should be thinking? I think you so concierge is definitely a word that I have heard uh, some some organizations have used. Uh, you know, sales consultant is mm -hmm. probably a, a growing phrase. And um, actually, and so in part of the book, I get I vent a little bit about how we've used the title of sales with so many different topics. I think that's part <laughs> of the problem where we've we've kind of like you know now we have sales associates and sales people. You know, it's a, it's very difficult to determine even what the phrase means. Um, so I would agree with you that, um, yes, what we're looking for here is somebody that can communicate with a customer on a much more consultative approach, um, you know, to be able to, you know, go beyond just sharing information, right? Go mm -hmm. beyond just sharing features, you know, in sales, uh, most sales professionals are familiar with the phrase of feature dumping, yeah. And that's where the salesperson has just just studied the manual on the product that they're selling, and they can't wait to read off the list of all these great features that their new product offers. Um, and you know, I think any sales professional is going to recommend against the practice of feature dumping because it's generally, you know, causes consumers to stop listening and to glaze over and to not pay attention. Um, but if we think about the internet and what it provides, you know, the internet is the biggest feature dumper ever. That's mm -hmm. all it does is dump features. So how can we be better than that, right? How is it that we still feel like we need a salesperson? And that and that's really where the core of this comes from. I, I, I think as a culture, as a way the consumers are going, consumers are really resisting the concept that they even need a salesperson at all, that mm -hmm. they need to talk to somebody through this because they feel so empowered by all of this other, all of these other tools that are now at their disposal via the internet. So what I want to do is help people, help salespeople realize the role that they play in the purchase process and how they can play that role in a way that helps consumers identify where their value is. Mm -hmm. um, because I still strongly believe that we need salespeople to help move people. And I still strongly believe that people want to be helped, that people want help making difficult decisions. Um, but we have to do so in a different way. We have to do so from an angle that demonstrates um, demonstrates our true and real desire to help them. Um, mm -hmm. And to do that by sharing information that they wouldn't know otherwise, uh, in a way that they wouldn't know. Yeah, I, I think you know it goes all the way back to the classic of trust. I mean, let's use uh, Apple as an example. They, mm. you know, they said, "Oh, we're going to make brick and mortar stores," and everybody says, "Well, you're crazy. It's not going to work. <laughs> it's not going to work." And then they came out and they just did something that was so totally different. And I think mm. the the most powerful things in the Apple buying experience is the thing called the Genius Bar, where mm. those the Genius Bar are salespeople, mm -hmm. but they just don't even go there. They say, look, if you want to know anything about your Mac, if you have any questions about your Mac, if you want to know more, come on down, make an appointment, and we'll put you in front of something, somebody who lives and breathes that product and will be able to answer your any question you have. And then you go there and you ask the questions that you're concerned about. They get answered in a, in a timely way, and you say, oh, great, okay, I want to move forward with the purchase. And I guess, oh, great, you know, let's just fill out a form, and there's your product. Mm -hmm. it's, brilliant. Yeah. it's brilliant it really is it really they apple has um i use them you know i hesitated to use them at times because obviously they are 
they're used often because they're such, you know, so well run in so many different ways. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, I use them as an example of, you know, how once a consumer is attached to a brand like that, um, about how they become, they become a salesperson on their own, right? Because you can't wait to tell how much, how people, how much you love their own products. Oh, exactly. Um, and we look at the people you described, how people behave on the genius bar, um, and it kind of goes, one of the points that I tried to make in the book is that, you know, showing people what you believe as an individual and in a company is much more valuable than telling them, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, Apple can tell you that, hey, yes, we have this genius bar and we have great people behind the genius bar that will help you and can answer your questions. You know, anybody can say that. And as a matter of fact, a lot of companies do say things like that. Um, but the difference is, is that the Apple genius bar delivers on that promise, um, and they do demonstrate that those people do know what they're talking about and they are passionate about the products and they are helpful, generally speaking, genuinely speaking, in a way that helps people realize how they can use these products to solve their problems and make their life better. Hmm. Uh, and that's why that Genius Bar is so successful. It really is. Let's dig a little bit into the book now. Um, it's it's a it's a quick book. It's a quick read, which uh, mm-hmm. I found quite refreshing because some of the books I get are tomes. Um, <laughs> how should a person tackle this book? Can they jump around in it, or, or can the, should they read it cover to cover? Yeah, I would recommend that the first read, and I, it is a quick read. Um, you know, most people can um, you know get it done in a couple hours. Uh, I think. Uh, if it even takes that long, depending on how quick a reader you are. But mm. I will say the first time, I would recommend going from cover to cover. Um, and that's because it really kind of lays out a progression of thought, um, starting with kind of some early frustrations with sales processes and how they are poor, um, to talking about some of those early days of the internet really impacting the buying process and ultimately the selling process. Um, however, the book is written in a way, um, it, it actually started more so as a collection of very short little essays and thoughts that I had put together over the years. And because of that, the book is really in very kind of short, digestible one and two page chunks of information. Mm. Um, so after that first progression is followed, it can easily be referred back to, you know, pulling out an excerpt here and there uh, and, and almost a completely standalone function. Mm-hmm. Um, so long answer to your question. Read it, read it through first, uh, straight through, uh, and then feel free to refer back to it as necessary. So in, in the book, uh, as a sales professional, where would I go to get an aha moment, to get something, wow, this guy gets it? It's a great question. I, I think um, if I think about all the different components of the book, um, the one I think that starts uh, in chapter four, uh, there's a section called the interpretation of data, mm. which is a very uh, uninteresting title to a chapter now that I read it out loud. Uh, however, <laughs> it is, uh, it's, it's a point in the book that starts to talk about that transition between um, you know, really basic facilitation type purposes of both the internet and the salesperson, and then really starts to talk about, well, where does the internet fail? And where the internet continues to fail is where the salespeople salespeople can continue to shine. Mm. Um, And the interpretation of data starts talking about um, really where the internet, well, where it fails the largest, at least in its current sense. Right now, 
the Achilles heel of the internet, uh, in my opinion, and is that it, it has been built mm-hmm. on the premise that people know what they're looking for. Uh, so it has been built with the idea that a consumer knows what to type in that Google search bar. You know, when they say, oh, I want a minivan, or I want a digital camera, or I want a new home, you know, the internet assumes always that the consumer knows what it is they want. Mm. And now salespeople will know this, any sales professional will understand the fact that, you know, it's not that consumers don't know what they want. As a matter of fact, they, they know a lot, and they have typically made the best decision based upon the information that they have available. But as a salespeople, we know that we know the products better, we know the options better, and we can get to know them in a way that might help them learn what they didn't know they didn't know. Mm-hmm. So we're really talking about a, a huge level of kind of unknown that we're trying to help people navigate waters that they've never been in before. You know, we as a consumer might see a product on TV, might see an ad in the book, might see an ad on the internet, and instantly say, yes, that's what I want. But we might not know that there's five other products out there that are actually work better. We don't really want a product. We want the solution that that product solves for us. Mm-hmm. So salespeople have the ability to identify the best possible solution. And that's where I think the internet tends to fail, is that it really doesn't have the ability to do that. It can't identify the best possible solution. It can only help the consumer find the solution that they thought they were already looking for. Yeah, very true. I mean, um, we're, solution is such a powerful word because I think that's what drives a lot of consumers. There's the, the mistrust of sales, first of all. And then they go, well, I can figure it out myself. And then they there's so much stuff on the internet that they're basically, I can't figure this out. And then they start <laughs> listening to people's blogs and they find somebody who's highly recognized or they get that person and mm-hmm. they start reading their blogs and say, wow, okay, this is great insight and then he's getting feedback from people and so you're reading feedbacks and then you go on Facebook and you say well I'm thinking of getting this camera and everybody's I've never heard of that camera maybe you should get the Nikon and then Mm -hmm. you start feeling oh maybe I'm a little bit unsure so when you go into if you go to a a general store that sells a bunch of different stuff and you talk to a salesperson that salesman will fail because he's not living your life he doesn't get you he is Mm -hmm. not in your headspace but if you go to a professional uh, photographic facility where there everybody every salesperson that's there behind the counter lives it and you can tell them your story of woe your research woe stories like I tried this mm. and I tried this and now I'm really convinced what do you recommend basically it goes all the way back to the to the um, the genius things like you're looking for somebody that you can trust that almost has a guru status where it's like yeah. you have so really I think the future of sales or supporting a sales team is to have a brand or a sales platform that is perceived as a place that houses people that just live that particular lifestyle or product mm-hmm. no I think that's a great point I mean those people are Connected so greatly to the products they sell, you know, your photography example, um, you know, you really, you need somebody that's that connected to be able to understand, you know, how the consumer or the problem that the consumer is specifically having, um, you know, just like uh, any other 
professional, you know, I, using a lawyer example, mm. right? We all have the ability to open a law book and to read the laws <laughs> themselves, right? But and we all have mm. seen courtrooms before. Um, but if you have to go into a courtroom, you you hire a, a law professional, you hire a lawyer because you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. You don't. There's there's a huge layer of unknown there that you know you need a professional for the best possible outcome, yeah. um, and that's really where salespeople need to position themselves to continue to demonstrate their value in a transaction. So let's say you're a salesperson and you've read the book and you're in an organization. Now you've educated yourself you kind of get the concept of the layer, the pyramid, the, uh, I think it's five points. Uh, let me just it went to mm-hmm. the five points from, uh, and we're going to talk about that in a second. Um, how do you communicate this new knowledge to your boss or your manager that he gets it? I mean, it's, it's such a subtle thing you're talking about that a lot of people might not get it. So what would you say mm-hmm. as a strategy to try and implement this new way of thinking? Hmm. It's a great question. I think, um, you know, from an organizational perspective, um, you know, when we start talking about, you know, the different levels of the the pyramid, I think first it's identifying, you know, the driving force or the driving mission belief behind the product itself, Mm -hmm. you know, the why. Um, So whatever that product is, whatever that product is that you're selling, whether or not it be computers or cameras or cars or homes, um, you know, first looking at the organization that you're selling on behalf of. Is it a retailer that's selling multiple products or is it a manufacturer that has one particular product line? Mm. You know, I think to be able to to really take in the full scope of the book itself and the concepts that it lays out, you really need to understand the, what it means to do business with that organization. You know, what is it that we want to communicate to the consumer that when they buy from us, this is who we are. This is what they're buying. You know, it's more than this product. It's more than this particular solution. What does it mean to buy from this organization? And then what does it mean to buy from me personally? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when somebody, and that's really, this is, now we're, we're starting to get towards the pinnacle, the pyramid, where we're talking about separating, you know, kind of the ultimate differentiator of the individual, um, and and the company, and that's where we get to establish, you know, what does it mean to do business with us? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where I'd start. I'd, I'd start with the boss of the organization and really trying to dig into the why of the company. You know, why do they do what they do? Why are they in business? What is the overall mission? And I don't mean that mission statement that's filled with the words like integrity and honesty and all of those things. But I mean, really, why are, why are they doing what they're doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's it's a key point that you have to be able to understand to be able to move to other levels. Hmm. Well, I mean, and it's a good segue here talking about the, the pyramid because, I mean, the scariest statement in your book for a salesperson is like, if you don't get this, you're going to be out of a job. I mean, mm-hmm. and that sounds a little harsh, but really, after reading the book, it's a truism. So I'm just going to read off from the bottom of the pyramid to the top, and then we're going to drop through and just talk about where the danger points are for somebody who has uh, sales as a career. So mm-hmm. we've got um, trans, <clears throat> we've got transaction facilitation. Then the next level up is information, and then the next level up is wisdom, and we've touched on that quite a lot. And mm-hmm. then the next level up is relationship, which I find super important. And the mm-hmm. very top is meaning, and that's what you just touched on. So. 
as a sales professional, people listening to the show or people that are managing salespeople or people that are trying to build a sales team, where is the internet taking over? Yeah. So right now it's that wisdom level. Um, and that's where, you know, it's, it's already taken over transaction facilitation, right? We don't need, we don't need a salesperson to ring a cash register. You know, we can all enter our own credit card information and in on the web, uh, we know we don't need the internet for information. You know, we've talked about that. You can get more information more reliably and more accurately and faster from the internet than you can ever get from a salesperson. Um, you know, the current level of expectation, I believe, for a salesperson to, to even, to, to just perform, right? To just be able to provide enough value um, to warrant employment or even to warrant value to the consumer is that level of wisdom. And, that level of wisdom, of course, we've talked about that component and kind of what it means at length. But where we're starting to see the internet creep in on wisdom, and then this is why I encourage salespeople to think further and organizations to think further than that component. But we're starting to see wisdom creep in because of the fact that we as individuals have the ability not just to share perspective and share reviews online, um, but we're getting to the point where the internet is actually even growing into the next level of relationship. When we think about how we use the internet from a, not only an information perspective now, but from a social perspective, um, you know, any number of social tools that we might be using, obviously Facebook being the largest, but we could cite, you know, a, a number of them in between, um, even ones that we might not even call social like Amazon or Yelp mm. or any of those tools that allow any individual to leave their opinion. Uh, what what we're seeing here with the internet is we're now getting feedback from people that we do know or people that do know us. You know, we talked about wisdom being valuable from a sales per- salesperson because you get to know the consumer and find out, you know, what it is, what problem it is they're trying to solve, you know, and then be able to present the best solution to them. Well, now we're getting to the time where we are the internet knows who we know, right? Facebook knows who we're friends with and who we're connected to, and LinkedIn does the same. And, you know, we're getting to the point where we're going to start to see things where we'll start to see reviews and comments, and this already happens in some places, from those that we're connected to first. Mm-hmm. So maybe we are researching a product. Maybe we are researching a minivan. Um, and we're going to be able to see that three of our friends on Facebook have also looked at that minivan, and this is what they thought. And I know them, and I trust them. Um, so we're starting to see these components of wisdom, these people who know us, and we're being able to kind of mass source their feedback and their insight and their wisdom and what they know and how they know us creep in on these consumer purchase decisions. Mm. Um so salespeople are going to kind of they're they're going to have to start to perform even higher. I mean, I think we've got some time. I don't think the internet is going to take over the wisdom component for a while. Um, and when I say a while, you know, maybe five years, ten years. Um, but it's coming. And I think if the salespeople want to retain the value, they've got to keep moving up. Well, I'm I'm gonna you know a little bit doom and gloom here for you guys. I don't think five or ten years. I think that's way. Uh, it's going to change a lot faster than that. I would say five five years max. <laughs> and and when, when I'm saying five years max, it's the perception of if you're a salesperson and you're not blogging, 
you are no longer a salesperson. In five years, unless you have a, a blog that you've been putting out for at least a year and you're putting valuable information and it's 80% valuable information and 20% product-based. Oh, by the way, you know we've been talking about this product for a couple of weeks now. I just found out we've got a sale just to let you know. That's a, that would be a sales pitch. Uh, and then it goes mm-hmm. back to, and here's the faults of this product, but this is, and then the next post is about, here we, this is how we can fix those faults. And then you mm-hmm. get a following and people start trusting you. If you're not doing that as, as part of your job as a salesperson, then you're going to fail as a salesperson. And I know a lot of salespeople I listening to the show right now will be saying, no way, that's not my job. That's the marketer's <laughs> job. And if you have that, if that's your attitude and mm-hmm. you're not going to the marketing department and say, like, I want to start a blog, how can you support me? That's what mm-hmm. you should be saying right now. And mm-hmm. if you're not, you're going to be a dinosaur. And, and mm-hmm. you know, it's a horrible thing to say to people. It's like, what are you talking about? I thought I was safe. If I'm a great salesperson, I'm safe. And yes, you are. If you're a really good salesperson, you're safe. But if you're a, a, a young salesperson trying to break into the industry and become great and make a ton of money because you can, this is the way you've got to think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I don't disagree with you from a standpoint of that being able to provide that additional value. You know, I it is uh, I'm very much a proponent of the blog as you described uh, for salespeople. It has been a challenge to find those professionals that um, you know embrace it at the level that I would like to see them embrace it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, you know, those ha- building those kind that kind of credibility uh, and that kind of respect. And that kind of relationship is really where we start to kind of take that next step up the pyramid. And, you know, those of you, when you look at the pyramid, you'll see how wisdom and relationship are kind of intertwined because mm-hmm. it is a little bit of a gray area to jump from one to the other in that the wisdom from those you have a relationship is much more respected uh, than wisdom from those who you don't have a relationship with. Yeah. Um, but to use your example, if you're blogging about a product every week or every day uh, and you're talking about the positives and the negatives and you're kind of doing a little bit of, oh, by the way, soft sells here and there, you know, what, you, what you're basically giving yourself the ability to do is to build a relationship with those consumers where you've got a trust component, as you mentioned earlier, that gives you – really allows you to leverage that in the future when you do have something to sell and you want to talk about what you're selling, now, now you're – you know, the sale is coming from, or at least the offer to purchase is coming from somebody who you trust, who shared with you a significant amount of impartial information, somebody who you believe knows what they're talking about and understands the market, uh, understands the product that it is they're selling. And when that offer comes out that says, oh, hey, and by the way, you know, we're having a sale or this is available now, um, you know, it's kind of like a friend telling you that, oh, yeah, hey, by the way, this is available now. Yeah, and you trust them and you thank them. It's like, well, mm-hmm. thank you for selling me. I mean, yeah. that that's the ultimate salesperson is where a person <laughs> is, oh, I'm so glad you let me spend $40,000 on this car. You're such a nice guy. <laughs> right, yeah, and <laughs> thanks for th- thanks for telling me that I could do this. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, thanks for telling me. It is, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's very much the way, and the, and the benefit to that sales too, um, you know, that approach is that those are sales activities that, that scale, you know, when we talk mm-hmm. about, you know, salespeople getting to know people on a one-to-one basis, you know, there's a lot of significant value in that. Uh, but obviously, it is, it takes time. You know, you need to meet people. You need to talk to people to build those relationships on a one-to-one basis. You know, when salespeople become their own media company and they start publishing and they start writing, um, you know, essentially what they've done is they do the same thing, 
you know, celebrities leverage all the time. Is just, you don't have to meet somebody face-to-face to feel like you know them. Mm-hmm. Right? There's plenty of celebrities that you can watch get interviewed on, uh, you know, Jimmy Fallon, or you can watch, you know, Ellen interview somebody, a celebrity, and you can feel like you know that person because they had a genuine conversation with the interviewer. So we can read people, we can listen to podcasts, we can watch videos, we can read blogs and Facebook posts, and very much feel like we know who that person is. So we feel like we have a relationship with that individual, even though that person doesn't even know our name. Absolutely. So, so the salesperson there has the ability to publish like that and really take that relationship building and scale it beyond what they could do on a one-to-one basis. Yeah, and I think at, at, at that point, it becomes the organization's problem in the sense that you probably have salespeople that get this and are fighting and having to do it on their own time and, and the organization that they're working for and try to sell for or educate their their uh, sales base, they're frustrated because it's the guy said, well, you can't be on Twitter and you can't be on Facebook. We need you working and why aren't you on the phone? Mm-hmm. Where the point is like, <laughs> dude, it doesn't work that way anymore. Yeah, yeah, this is working. This is me talking to people. This yeah. is people listening. This is self-prospecting via yeah. the internet. I mean, that's is really, you know, using the salesperson's terminology. This is self-prospecting. You know, this is their individual person reaching out and finding new prospects to talk to. Um, just a different scale. Yeah. Different and, scale. and I think the biggest problem is, is lead time. Uh, a lot of mm. people think it's like... It, we, we got to see some results. You got your 15-day results. You got your 30-day results. So mm-hmm. as a strategy, what should a salesperson do to try at work into this over the next year or two years? What should they be doing? Should they be taking a percentage of their time and trying to sneak it in or should they be doing it on their private time? What should they be doing? Well, you know, the book was really – I approached the concept, um, you know, as the individual, mm. right? So there's, I really tried to take and speak to the individual sales professional and say, this is how you, as an individual, if you enjoy your profession, can maintain relevance. Um, I think that the, there are the majority of the organizations will not support, um, you know, unfortunately, still not support uh, salespeople generating content like this. So, and I think ultimately from a salesperson's livelihood, um, knowing a lot of people that choose the profession, you know, don't always stick in the same place very once. We tend to be a little bit of a transient bunch uh, when it comes to where we're selling. Um, You know, I encourage them to uh, maintain their own individual personality online. I mean, so I do think there's a little bit of personal time off the clock, which, you know, salespeople are used to, and salespeople don't punch a clock anyway. So, Mm. um, you know, I think it's a time and effort on their own to to look to kind of develop their own individual personality so they continue um, to really provide that individual personal value. you know, to use an example, I use the car business quite a few times. You know, there are folks that are in the car industry, uh, salespeople that have, you know, kind of worked for a number of different organizations over the years and dealerships, you know, but they have a loyal customer base that will follow them to whatever manufacturer they're selling. Um, because those people respect those salespeople, they believe in them. You know, it means something for those consumers to buy from that individual. Um, so, you know, I got a little bit off topic there, but to go back and answer your question a little bit better, it's, 
you know, much like golf, you know, sales is a long game and a short game, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're always going to the short game part. You're always, well, who am I talking to this week? You know, what are my appointments this week? Who am I talking? Who am I calling today? Mm-hmm. Um, those components really haven't gone away. Uh, but what we're talking about from a self-prospecting perspective, it's a, it's a long game. You know, I need to do this. You know, we talk about before the internet, you know, maybe I need to attend two or three networking events here locally, um, you know, in the next 30 days. You know, this is the same kind of attitude where you need to, you need to talk to people, you need to share what you're doing with others. Um, so I think you got to peel out a little bit of your own time, invest in yourself, invest in your own personal voice, um, and start sharing who you are. You know, and, and to your credit, you do mention it uh, near the back of the book. You've got, uh, you know, the, the basically you're saying that the people that will buy from you are the same people that support the same charity, um, have kids of the same age, uh, buy at the similar type places. So they have something in common. So is that that touch point where they, they kind of, they have an aha moment. It kind of almost goes back to when you were saying um, you watch a celebrity and you realize they like a particular type of book or food. They go, oh, I like that food too. Awesome. You get all excited about it. Same thing with a blog. You'll, it's not all about here's a bunch of facts. Here's, here's some data dumps. It's about this is my opinion. One of the biggest pieces of advice I give to uh, people that are in sales and can't get a blog is say, you have to have a subject matter that's a metaphor and I was talking to a guy down in Georgia who had to sell cars and um, I said okay what do you love to do forget about the cars forget about your what do you do on the weekends do you go hunting do you go fishing oh I love fishing I said great what pisses you off about your car that it makes fishing harder and what do you love about your car or a car that you know on the market that make you better fishermen? He said, oh my God. And then suddenly he got excited and I said, and that's how you do it. That's the secret to that. If you're going to do a blog, don't write about what you're selling. Write about life and how particular products makes that life better. And then it's simple. Then it's totally agree. For people that want to learn more about you, I know you've got a Twitter account because you've got it on the book. You've also got a blog. Let people know how should they get get a hold of you. Yeah. Um, so I own a um, a web development and marketing company called O'Neill Interactive. So mm-hmm. they can learn a little bit more about me and my company at O'NeillInteractive.com. And they can learn more about the book itself uh, at SalesActualization.com. Mm. Um, and O'NeillInteractive.com does have a blog that myself and some of the other team members uh, also contribute to. Um, but I've written a number of things over the years. Um, you know, always been fascinated with the topic of sales and how the internet and technology impacts that whole selling and buying process. Mm-hmm. So um, I've blogged over the years on a number of topics that are basically all around the same topic as the book. Hey, and I noticed you got at DennisO'Neill.com, and that's, you know, have your name as your uh, Twitter account. That's pretty darn hard to get if you've got a, a non <laughs> yeah. name. That's a, I was, yeah, I think it's funny. I, I had a conversation with my son the other day who was on Twitter. Um, and uh, he said, Dad, uh, how, how did you have, how did you get, how do you, get more followers than I've got. 
<laughs> and I said, uh, I said, well, I said, Max, I've been on Twitter a long time. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's the really reason why. He said, well, how long have you been? So I checked it out and it was like October of 2008. Ooh. So uh, I think that was how it was. I was early enough where my name was still available at the time. Yes. <laughs> so... So been there for that's that's the key. If you want to get your name, you got to get in. Got to get in early. Yeah, you, you got to listen to this podcast twelve years ago. That's and then, right, and then then you're covered. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, so. Dennis, thank you very much for coming on the show. It was awesome. Uh, I just also want to make a big shout out here because this is how social media works. He has some awesome artwork uh, by Hugh McLeod and uh, really nice, very casual. It's not uptight, and I think it was very refreshing having that put in the book. So. Uh, Kudos to thanks. your illustrator. Yeah, thanks very much. He was, uh, I've been a big fan of Hughes for a long time, and I was thrilled when uh, when we got uh, we got him to um, to give us some nice color for the book. So, well, and you know, and and let's hit these guys with on the hammer one more time. How did you find out about Dennis? Did you go to an art show for him, or did you discover him on the internet? Oh, so Hugh McLeod, uh, I first heard of Hugh, um, hmm. so I'm trying to remember my first exposure to Hugh. So Hugh McLeod has illustrated some of Seth Godin's books, so I might have heard of Hugh first then, Mm -hmm. but Hugh's also written a few himself, um, Ignore Everybody, and I think is his most popular. Um, And I've just been long, just a long admirer of his work. One of his favorite cartoons, um, you know, is the the market for something to believe in is infinite. Mm-hmm. Uh, that particular quote there has always resonated so strongly with me. And then anytime I talk to, um, you know, other business owners and we're talking about the market for a product, um, you know, and Seth Godin really expands on Hughes at some point in one of his books, he expands on that particular cartoon um, and talks about how, you know, you can only buy so many cases of water. You can only drive so many cars. Um, but, you know, what scales infinitely is something to believe in. It's meaning. You know, mm-hmm. what does it mean to do business um, with a particular organization? Uh, and from a sales perspective, I like to remind salespeople to ask the question, what does it mean to do business with them? Uh, and that's where I think you have that ultimate differentiator. Yeah, I would uh, I definitely Google him. Because he's got some amazing, amazing uh, illustrations, and he really digs th- board down. yeah. I'm he, sorry. He's he's he digs down into uh, the meaning of very complex uh, ideas, and that's why it works so well in your book. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, Hugh, I highly recommend Hugh McLeod. As so, gapingvoid.com is Hugh's blog, <laughs> and uh, gapingvoidart.com yeah. uh, is where you can find his artwork. He's a very so. angsty type of guy. <laughs> he is. He's got kind of that entrepreneurship mixed with artist kind of uh, you know take on everything. Yeah, but, dark uh, humor. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But it's uh, it, it's great. It's great. I love it. <laughs> hey, Dennis. So. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. You were awesome. Thanks very much for having me, Bob. It was a pleasure. Nothing I enjoy talking about more than than sales and the internet. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe, leave comments, or make a request on our website, businessbooktalk.com. See you next week.